down the charm. Three is a magic number. Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 62, Thor Ragnarok from 2017, and I'm your host, Mike Odinson. Welcome to another thunder-filled episode. I'm back at it here on the show looking at more MCU superhero part threes, and since this month is the new Thor Love and Thunder, I decided to grab Brian and Kyle to finally talk what I think is my favorite MC movie so far, Thor Ragnarok. We have a lot of fun talking about Thor, Korg, Hulk, and a whole bunch of other characters that have over four letters in their name. While you're here, I do have to do a plug up front because Joey Lewandowski and I have seen the new Elvis movie by Boz Lerman starring Tom Hanks and have a review up for that on the feed for Hanks for the Memories and Viva Pod Vegas. So be sure to see that movie and hear that review. Now, without any further ado, grab a front row ticket to the contest of champions because we are headed to Sakaar. here back in the Marvel Multiverse of Madness, exploring all the different superhero movies once again with some friends from work. (laughs) (laughs) The first one, Kyle and I have been doing most of these solo, but recently the other friend, Brian, has been joining us recently on a lot of these. Welcome back, Kyle and Brian, the superhero duo known to me as the Hoff Bros. Welcome back, guys. The, the Philip Seymour Hoffman podcasting bros. Anyway, here we are today talking one of Brian's favorite MCU films and mine and Kyle's Thor Ragnarok, the third Thor, the 17th MCU movie. Yeah, love this film. Excited to talk to y'all about it. I don't know. I, I kind of want to start over here with Brian because, like, you know, when Kyle and I started doing a lot of the Marvel movie part threes and then we're branching off you know we you know the three of us even did that batman stuff we're crossing universes but you were like mike i have to be on the ragnarok episode i need to be on this show and i was like hell yeah absolutely now you're here brian what is it about thor ragnarok that uh you know you just had to be here I don't know what it is, but it's just my favorite MCU film. If I had a letterbox, which everyone knows I don't, but if I had a letterbox, <laughs> it would be up there. It really would. It might be in that four up there. I don't know, because again, I love Coppola films. More on that later. But this movie is everything to me. I'd rather watch this than Endgame or any of the other films. Look, I like the Spider-Man films, like everyone knows. But Thor Ragnarok, I don't expect it to be topped by any film. I'm always a huge Thor fan, and the wife's a huge Thor fan. I don't see every MCU movie in the theater like you guys. Thor fan or Chris Hemsworth fan? Both, I would say. (laughs) Fair, fair. Yeah. But these, we always go to the theater to see, me and her. It's very important to us. Like, I could skip the others. I mean, I have skipped some of the others. I haven't seen all of them. I'm not caught up. I will be caught up. You know, I I catch up slowly. But the new Thor coming out, I'm going to be there. Love and Thunder. Looks like it has a similar feel to this one. And the fact that, like, 
a lot of people around this time started really start uh, shitting on the MCU, right? There was a fatigue with it. And they were looking for a lot of, I think, new blood, fresh start, certainly in this franchise, right? After Thor The Dark World. And I'm not a huge hater on The Dark World like other people, but universally, that's like the, one of the most shit on MCU films, if not the most shit on MCU film. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but you were kind of feeling that fatigue, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I still kind of feel that fatigue, but absolutely. When this came out, you said there's 17 films at this point. I can't remember the order. You guys probably know that better than me. Yeah, so we had just gotten Spider-Man, Homecoming, and before that was like Civil War, and Guardians 2 was even out. Things were starting in that phase to break out of kind of a mold, you know, as Feige got more control and gave directors more control and brought in sort of more of that auteur feel to it, if possible. I don't think I saw Civil War in the theaters or cared very much, you know? I mean, it was cool that people were getting together, but it was just like, they started to feel like punch movies, you know? People getting together, punch each other for a while, you know, maybe a quip here or there, punch, punch, punch. I was cherry picking them, right? Like I saw Guardians, I saw Ant-Man, like I was going for more of the comedy ones rather than the super serious ones. Again, not that I wasn't watching those, but I was getting excited for this. I saw the trailer for this, was so excited, went with Nicola Theater, and I've never stopped loving this film. Thor is definitely interesting. He has a very interesting evolution throughout his time in the MCU. You know, like a lot happens in his films uh, personally, but then in other films, in the Avenger movies, he, he has a lot of growth and change as well. So this is one of the characters I think I feel has changed the most since he's been introduced. Constantly like remaking himself or something like that, you know, in, in every movie in some form or manner. You know, Brian, I have to agree with you also as uh, as far as like that fatigue, like it was pretty real, like phase three, was it leading up to all of that end game stuff? Like it was getting not tedious, but there's just a lot going on. And I felt like in the attempt to expand the universe, it was actually shrinking it down by having everybody start to appear in each other's films. I started liking the earthbound stuff less and shifting more toward the cosmic stuff. Which, Mike, side note, I never would have guessed that And for me, right? Like, I was someone who loved the grounded stuff. And then suddenly, it's like, holy shit, space shit? Awesome. I was so against Thor originally. Like, I was like, oh, Iron Man is so grounded. What the hell are they going to do with this Viking space guy? Woo, turned me. So sorry, just needed Yeah, to no, say. no. It's okay. I mean, like, yeah, from the beginning, I was always excited about Thor because, of, you know, my heritage, of course. Like, you know, my <laughs> <laughs> being part Norse myself and all that. Yeah, no, honestly, though, like, you know, I didn't really read Thor as a child. Like, I didn't really follow Thor all that much throughout the comics generally. Like, because, like, anyone could use it. Like, Thor shows up anywhere. He's public domain. Okay, so like Marvel just took like all of those gods and integrated them into the Marvel Universe how they wanted to. So I don't know, growing up, that never just really appealed to me. But now as an adult, I like that stuff a lot more. I've been reading like a lot of the Eternals comics and things, too. I really enjoy the cosmic Marvel Universe stuff. Um, Kyle, what are your impressions of Thor Ragnarok before we get too deep into this? When you saw this, did it... It ragnarok my world, yes. Is that <laughs> we do see a lot of these movies together, but I think this was before we started getting onto this streak of, like, our recent streak. So I don't yeah, think we I... saw this together, but what were your impressions? I don't recall who I saw this with. I mean, there's a good chance we saw this together. This came out in, like, November, I feel like, right? This is also when the movies also stopped. They were started releasing, like, like we said, like Guardians was that summer, which volume two. I know, Brian, you at least like the soundtrack of that one. Like, I remember discussing that, enjoying that playlist. Like, I know I saw Ant-Man with Brian. We saw Logan that year together. If there was any time that I was feeling any kind of fatigue, I would say it's like now. And I'm still really enjoying everything with the shows and stuff like that. I guess maybe the uh, the pandemic didn't help with everything scrunched up in that short period of time of Black Widow to Shang-Chi to Eternals and Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, like in what a six month period so that was a lot and then dr strange is still it's, it was a lot to deal with multiverse i should say so yeah if there was any time of fatigue it's now you've always been all in kyle you're the most all in mcu guy i know so like that doesn't surprise me hey i mean the mcu i enjoyed from the get-go i real i defended uh iron man on the car ride back who shit on iron man 
I forget who I was with, but they were just saying like there wasn't a whole lot of action. Which if you think of the action in that movie, it's like him briefly getting captured, him breaking out, and then there's kind of that brief thing in the Middle East when he first like has the suit fully, and then it's like him versus Iron Monger like at the end. It's not like the craziest action set pieces, but you know, I still really enjoyed it. And so that's interesting because that's like the same summer as Dark Knight, that's May, Dark Knight is July. And then I remember in 2012, thinking out loud, and Brian, you know, as not as much now, but defending Christopher Nolan for a little longer than like some people. The summer that the Avengers came out, again, that was May and July was the Dark Knight Rises. After watching the Dark Knight Rises being like, ah, man, I think I really like the Avengers that much more. Mike, I know you love, and I, I do enjoy it a lot more now. I know you love Captain America First Avenger, but I, w- I wasn't like sold on it. I still very much was just like, he's the human torch. Like I was one of those people. And then, By the th- way, loved him as the human torch. So yeah, that, great. That was a compliment yeah. to me. Yep. And then Thor, like I wasn't like too crazy. I thought that was the weakest out of the ones leading up. We saw Thor in the theater and we really, really liked it coming out of it. We had such low expectations. I yes. remember okay. we walked That's in fair. there, we were like, That's fair. all right. No, this is coming back to me now, Kyle. Ooh. You and I went to see, what's that horror movie with him? Cabin in the Woods. And this is when I was like going to the theater. I, you know, I was at home, I had expendable income, and Kyle, you would go to the theater a lot. I mean, you still do, but like then you would go a lot. And you're like, oh, let's see Cabin in the Woods because this is the guy who's going to play Thor. And I was like, okay. And saw him there. I didn't think much of him in that film, I don't think. And then you invited me to Thor, and I'm like, ugh, I'm letting you know. I have zero expectations for this character. I remember, you know, vaguely, I'll be honest with you, like, really nerdy people liked Thor when I was growing up, you know? Like, that was real deep Marvel shit. Like, that, anyone could like Spider-Man, but to like Thor? And then I remember us seeing Thor and just enjoying, not being like, this is an amazing movie, but kind of enjoying Thor's human moments like when he's at the bar and stuff drinking with Sarsgard. we ate we drink we made our ancestors proud like, stuff <laughs> like that. i bring it up because maybe the stuff we didn't like in those earlier thor films they're getting rid of more and they're bringing out more thor the person or the asgardian and i love it i love it and that's what we see here so sorry so it just all came back to me and i was excited i say all of that because as brian said like me being like an all-in marvel guy like definitely by the time the avengers came out i was all in i still think that it's a great movie even though like i mean there's some people now they're definitely trying to take a little away from it i mean it's one of the biggest accomplishments in like cinematic history and then all the movies kind of leading up through phase two and phase three i i really enjoyed and then this was awesome and i mean and i knew who taika watiti was and and so I was really excited, you know, had seen him as far as an actor and then director knew his work. And so I was really excited for this movie and it didn't disappoint in the slightest because, again, this came out in November and then that May was Infinity War. And in between then was Black Panther. So it's like between Thor and then Black Panther, that was really leading into Infinity War. And then after Infinity War was like at least Captain Marvel. I don't know if anything else came out between that and Endgame. I'm also pretty much all in on the MCU. I love the shows. I just finished over the last few months rewatching every movie leading up to Thor Love and Thunder. And, you know, it's interesting to chart the movies when you watch them so closely together and you see the evolution of it and what movies they sort of sink more money into and what movies they end up kind of grooming more or, you know, changing and shifting around. There's like all that Joss Whedon stuff when he was in control, then the stuff when he was gone, but when Feige still didn't have total control because he had like, you know, people he had to answer to above him. And then there's the phase where they like, he has no one to answer to now. Those people are gone. There's no restrictions. And like now he can basically write all the checks and and, and like make all the final decisions and stuff. So it's been a really interesting growth for the MCU. Dynamically, stylistically, visually, like I think the Guardians movies really sort of said they don't all have to fit a similar mold. Not that they were going for that, but after a while, they all kind of felt like a house style, which the Marvel comics felt like too. And then these cosmic stories, because of the necessity to make them look so different, 
taking place in such you know obscure locations like really opened up stuff to be like all right now not only can we have these cooler locations we could have like even more bizarre characters down the line they don't all have to be quite as grounded as iron man or you know captain america even with the phases like phase one was mind you still not even like an mcu in the sense that marvel wasn't bought by disney yet there's a lot more violence in those two. You see way more death and destruction and people getting shot and blood and all that kind of stuff before Disney buys them. It's really weird. But yeah, so you had these new directors coming in because these are new projects. And it's interesting to see, like you're saying, like what money was put on what? Because you look at the first Thor and you're like, oh, this pretty much takes place in New Mexico in a small, like single street backlot town. Yeah, they spent all their money on Kenneth Branagh to direct. But then you see in Phase 2, so after the first Avengers, you see then kind of these different directors coming in. So you have Shane Black with Iron Man 3, and then you have, I'm blanking on his name, but with Thor 2, they really wanted to try, everyone was so big. Alan Taylor. Yeah, Alan Taylor. Everyone was so big on Game of Thrones at the time. They really wanted that to be more of like the Game of Thrones kind of movie. And obviously the Winter Soldier and then you had Guardians of the Galaxy come in. So by phase three with this movie in it, you get even more really like auteur kind of directors are just even getting weirder with the stories not even just like visuals but just really hamming it up in certain areas and and that's the moment where it's like ooh, i wonder if like edgar wright wasn't originally supposed to direct ant-man back in like 2008 or something if like that's a time that he would have come in you know to, to a project if the regime was the way it is now edgar wright's ant-man would exist you know yeah, like that's a, otherwise you know there's no way taika waitiki is getting a movie back then uh even if he was who he was when this came out which you know he wasn't really that well known i mean we know him because we follow film and stuff but i predominantly knew him from what we do in the shadows which is just an incredible movie it's his other films like Boy or Hunt for the Wilder People, like these are very sort of small, independent films that it's sort of along the lines of Marvel, what they continued to do, where they're like, let's find these successful indie directors and give them a shot at a big, giant Marvel movie. Maybe some of them we can control to do what we want, and maybe some of them we won't bash heads with as much and like you will rub off on each other. And I think like this is sort of a best case scenario of that kind of thinking. Yeah, Mike, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Like, he wasn't the director that we know today in visibility. I knew him from a as a big Flight of the Concords fan. He uh, worked on that show a lot, and obviously with uh, Jermaine Clement. But the other key component here is that, like, Chris Hemsworth was publicly getting tired of the Thor character. He, he had made some comments in some magazines, like, if we're going to do another Thor movie, it's got to be different. And he got what he wanted here. And I think that was a big part of it. Like the fact that like you got to keep your Thor happy and he's doing another Thor movie, which is awesome. Yeah, I read even like Anthony Hopkins didn't want to come back and then he read the script and he's like, okay, I'll come back. I don't ever heard of these guys who wrote the script. Chris Yost, Craig Kyle and Eric Pearson, they've all done Marvel stuff before, like Thor the Dark World, but also like animated Marvel movies starring like Hulk and Thor and things like that and like Marvel one shots and stuff. So it seems like they're sort of in-house type writer guys. Like I know Marvel has like a writing room that they sort of culture and nurture kind of like Pixar does. They have like... I don't know what they call it, the treehouse or whatever at at Nintendo. They do the same kind of thing over there. I would just assume that with this type of talent here and with someone like Hemsworth, like, you know, like you say, wanting to do something new with the role, Taika Waitiki being a writer, director, all these other great talents. Like I would only have to imagine that there was a lot of improv, a lot of sort of, you know, changing, a lot of just sort of loosening it up and things like that to the script and, and everything. So I, I I wonder, I would love to get my hands on the pages and compare it to what was actually shot. Because this movie is just like hilarious to a degree of like, how do you write that? Like, how do you get that on the page? Like, it just feels like banter, like some stuff that like they came up with on the spot or something. 
Yeah, that's what Taika has like said that it was a lot of improvisation. So yeah, I would I would be very curious to read the screenplay because if Anthony Hopkins read and he's like, oh, perfect, like I'll yeah I'll come back for this last one. But then they improvised a lot, and then even like his part in the movie, or at least like at one point the first trailer for this, Hella cracks Mjolnir in like an alleyway. Yeah, that was that was what they originally had reshoots and and all that. I mean, just re CGI'd. He shot it in the app. Al- you know the theoretical alley but uh they wanted to make it look like even though it's supposed to be norway they wanted to make it look like wales where he was from and he actually liked that a lot more obviously so uh yeah that's a really cool scene just quickly anthony hopkins has one of my favorite line readings of his entire career in this when he's playing loki as odin and he just goes oh shit man anthony hopkins i follow him on instagram he is weird and i love it kyle i'm glad you bring that up that's what i'm guessing he read in the script it was that part getting to be playful yeah yeah like that to me probably was it what attracted to him to this that version of it rather than like the i'm saying goodbye version which is kind of more like that traditional mcu style well that's the whole thing this is a guy that won his best or his first best actor because now he's won multiple oscars but his first best actor in like one of the chewiest meatiest like weirdest roles characters to have ever you know been awarded an oscar for in hannibal lecter so it's just like yeah of course he i mean besides just seeing like an oddball kind of guy like great really broad sense of humor in real life that he would read that and be like this is different this is fun versus the first two other thor films start with a exposition of him telling about some norse mythology the ether Eons ago, my father Bor took the cosmic sludge from the Dark Elves. But yeah, no, there's just a lot that like culminated in this film as far as changes in the MCU or just like that world growing, I think. And we're getting a team up of Thor and Hulk because they were the two that were missing from Civil War in 2016 or whenever that was. And get to see Chris Hemsworth's comedy chops. The world was delighted by Paul Feig's Ghostbusters and the bimbo he, I'm sorry, the himbo that he was in that movie. In the first Thor, I, one of Kevin Feige's like biggest regrets is blonde eyebrows. He always brings that up as far as like a top regret of his. It wasn't a terrible movie by any means. The stuff on the Helicarrier, once they're all meeting and just like, oh, he's, well, he's adopted, you know, like that kind of line. There was some humor to Thor, and then that totally disappeared in the dark world. So I, again, just to reiterate everything we've said so far, I get why everyone that is now making Ragnarok is invested in this and wants this change. Everybody's really funny in this. Like, I love his chemistry with Mark Ruffalo when that all happens. I think Jeff Goldblum is just pitch perfect in this. Tessa Thompson, like, she's hilarious in this. Kate Blanchett. Like, also, this movie, to me, is just, like, really kind of, like, hot and, like, horny and sexy, too, at times, you know? Yeah, we get Hulk's ass. There's so much sex appeal in this movie. Yeah, we get naked Hulk's ass. Yeah, it's it's going for what it wants to do, and, like, luckily it fits into the rest of the universe because the characters, you know, they feel like, they, they feel genuine. You know, as different as they are, like, this still feels like Loki. It still feels like Thor. It still feels like Hulk. It still fits together. I think cinematically, this is kind of peak hipster, if that makes sense. You know, there was all this, like, mumblecore movies and stuff that, like, was not mainstream, but it kind of was. And those people sort of they died out, but they really didn't die out. They got, like, absorbed into mainstream. And this is, like, a huge-ass, big-budget movie with CGI that has these, like, hipster qualities that people don't want to admit. But, like, Jeff Goldblum became a hipster god. He was appearing in uh, Wes Anderson films and stuff like that. And the humor is very much like this... This 2010s, dry, sarcastic humor that uh, really, uh, you mentioned the original Thor films, only Darcy has this humor in the original ones, right? And now everyone has it. And it's less annoying when it's everyone, you know? I love Darcy, don't get me wrong. But it's just funny to me, like you can track this sort of thing that happened in culture, this like Brooklynization of things. And this is like almost peak of it. I don't think it still exists in that form today, maybe in the, like the, the newer Thor film, but... It's just amazing to see that sort of humor 
mainstream to a freaking Marvel CGI level, you know? Maybe it's our age difference or something like that, because when I watch this movie, it plays like I'm reading Mad Magazine. Like, it feels like a lampoon, almost, of Thor or of Marvel movies. Just testing to see what the boundaries are what can they get away with like naming a wormhole the devil's anus <laughs> those two cultures i'm talking about are not that separated it's like where they meet at the other side almost <laughs> every serious moment in this movie is like then pintailed with like a joke yeah very much the sort of Family Guy Simpson culture as well, as far as irreverence or things along that line, just being super self-aware. Korg is saying something beautiful about the foundations, and there will be a safe haven, and then, the, you know, Asgard explodes. He's like, well, enough of that. No, you know, foundations aren't safe anymore. I would say my, like, micro-generation loves this kind of humor. We don't relate well emotionally to each other. We have a hard time telling each other our feelings. So, like, anything in real life is usually punctuated with a joke. But I know there are some micro-generations who hate this shit. So I would be surprised to hear their opinions who, like, just be genuine, man. Just, like, it's okay to give hugs and stuff. Where it succeeds on the one end, it kind of suffers. This movie suffers a little on the other with all of the Hela stuff and the sibling rivalry is just sort of put on the back burner a lot. And I just wish that was a little more horror or a little more threatening. But we cut back to like Hela trying to take over Asgard and she's cracking jokes too. But I don't know if I necessarily want that at that moment. Yeah, exactly. It's still fine. You know, it doesn't ruin the movie for me, obviously, but that tone... It just sort of covers everything. It saturates everything, even the stuff it uh, maybe it shouldn't. But that, again, that's okay. You know, I love what it what it's going for, and I feel like it's successful ultimately with everything. I mean, a key moment, like if you're with this movie or against it, is when Thor arrives back in Asgard in the beginning and. They're watching the play about Loki, you know, and you get Sam Neill and Matt Damon and all and like Luke Hemsworth playing his brother. And like, if you don't, if you're not down with that joke, like you're going to miss a lot of the other jokes I feel in this movie. You know, it's almost like a like a litmus test at that point to see who's, I don't know, hip enough, if you will. Yeah, well, well, there's always there's always those nuggets of things. And just even from the fact that, um, you know, what's his name from Devo does the score like that is such a Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah, someone who's done Wes Anderson scores, too. So, like, again, going into this, like, again, this weirdo hipster thing. But, Mike, I'm so glad you brought up that hella thing because you're so right. I don't have any children and there's no children on the way if someone's listening and think I'm, I'm spoiling something. But if I have children and I show them this film. And depending when they're born in their generation, it might be, and Kyle, you aside, right? Because I know you loved Blazing Saddles and Airplane and things like that. But if you show, if someone who grew up with Airplane showed their kids the film Airplane, a lot of them are going to be like, you thought this was funny? Or like Naked Gun. Again, I love Naked Gun, but you know what I mean? Like I could see showing later generations this film and they're like, why is everyone such an asshole in this movie? Yeah, she's clearly hurting. She's an alcoholic, and they're laughing about it. It's so funny you say that, Brian, because I've been, like, catching a lot of Seinfeld recently, and I'm watching it now going, like, they're assholes, man. Like, what (laughs) the fuck? Like, these guys are pricks. 90s, though, another famous asshole era, right? Like, it was cooler to be an asshole than not to be. Dennis Leary, famous asshole, right? Saying about it, (laughs) the whole thing. Before we go any further, not that there's much further to go, but I kind of want to quickly go through the plot real fast because I wrote down a couple things about it, and then we can just talk loosely about other actors, other moments, other characters. There's definitely another character I need to talk about, but we find Thor after Age of Ultron searching the cosmos for Infinity Stones. He lands in the cage of Surtur, who is a devil demon god from hell who is supposed to cause Ragnarok and Thor's been having all these visions but he takes Surtur's crown back to Asgard with him where he encounters Loki impersonating Odin they go to Earth to find Odin and Doctor Strange shows up to help them he sends them to Norway Odin dies Hela their sister shows up that they never knew about because Odin was keeping her locked away somewhere. But now that he's dead, she shows up. She goes to Asgard and draws power from there to take over. She kicks the brothers off of the Rainbow Bridge. They land in Sakaar. They become prisoners of the Grand Master. They are put into the Contest of Champions. Thor fights Hulk. He meets Korg. They escape. They go through the Devil's Anus. They 
Unleash Surtur on Asgard to defeat Hela, destroying the entire flat Earth planet, and they all voyage their way back to Earth in the end, crowning Thor the new king. By your plot, does that make Asgardians flat Earthers? Yes, it does. Wow. Well, no, no, no. They're not flat Earthers, Kyle. They're flat Asgardians, right? Like, yes. Midgard is not flat. Only Asgard is. It was really cool to see Doctor Strange show up like two movies after his movie and just for like a minute, you know, like that's what I like. Which we got a hint of that. That was one of the post credits for Doctor Strange. Yeah, and we already had that scene too, so. Yeah, but it wasn't the full thing. They kind of also did that, I remember, for Civil War, hinting at like having Scott Lang come or help or something like that. So my favorite character and maybe my favorite character in the MCU right now is probably Korg. I just love Korg. Maybe it's just I love Taika Waititi's accent. Also like a New Zealand style of comedy. I remember him saying that he just loved this idea. This movie is about like a political uprising and shadowed in just a lot of comedy and lightheartedness, but underneath it, it's just uh, like some pretty dark stuff happening in this movie hey guys want to start a revolution (laughs) (laughs) point being i just remember him saying he loves the idea this juxtaposition of this big rock humanoid with this maori like he just always found it funny when there was like a big maori like bouncer somewhere oh that's cool it it almost gives me also uh like mike tyson vibes you know where like you see this big huge monster of a man and he opens his mouth and you know he sounds like mickey mouse (laughs) the new zealandness of this is so cool like again from being a big flight of the concords fan it reminds me of that humor a lot it reminds me of a lot what's this guy's name the manager in flight of the concords oh reese darby he acts like this a lot you know just kind of again he's not a big guy like that but just that i feel like new zealand to australia is like canada to us that that checks out to me brian i just have like after you mentioned reese darby i just can't get this thought out of my head that if in that play that's happening in the movie that as you said the actors that are playing odin and everybody before if there was a fandral in it or however you say it, that zachary levi shazam plays in uh dark world in this reese darby would totally play him on stage i wonder if he's going to show up somewhere in the new thor movie as one of the olympian gods of some type i like how the warriors three are dispatched in this movie you're out yeah well not the girl right is she lady sith she was uh busy working on the that um tv show well yeah the actress had other commitments and it saved her character's life she's coming up and thinks she's going to be in the new one i also really love what Kate Blanchett's doing. I just wish there was more of her in the movie some way, somehow. You know, she's pretty one note, but it's a great note. It's like when you hear like an opera singer keep that note going forever and ever and ever. Like it's cool, it's great. She's super sexy and threatening and all that kind of stuff. It's just she never leaves Asgard. I was just gonna say that. That plays a big part of it. She never leaves Asgard. And this is the first movie also that like Asgard felt like a little bit more of like a real place too, especially for a movie that like re- the emphasis was very much on Asgard isn't a place, it's a people, but it was just like really because again, the other ones like you go to New Mexico and then in dark world like they are there a decent amount but then they're jumping around to other planets too and then they're back on earth in the end yeah it is kind of nice like that like we have asgard and sakar mostly you know and we're just gonna we're gonna run around those two worlds and cut back and forth it was nice to see a bit of the yeah expansion of asgard with the mountains and and on all that kind of and some more of the uh, locals and everything nothing really beats the visuals of sakar though like that is just like awesome like crazy madness a lot of that based on jack kirby's artwork it's amazing we get an orgy ship but i was gonna say when he's in strapped in that chair and it's like part willy wonka part uh spaceship earth from epcot in 2001 yeah and it's funny because it's like kyle you mentioned uh the anthony hopkins intro to the earlier thor films and now juxtapose it with sort of exposition being told to us in this form and it's like worlds apart from each other worlds apart from each other and that's a new character but then just look at like so idris elba actually getting to do things in this movie i know he was someone that wasn't big on the mcu and being in it because he was just really bored as well so if i give him something to do and then also not a character that existed already but another as guardian scourge carl urban very different, but he was a character in the comics. My things, and wh- I went to this place, Texas. <laughs> yeah, is in destroy together. 
they destroy. I mean, I love Carl Urban on The Boys. I love that Dread movie. The Judge Dread movie is just one of my fucking favorite superhero or comic book. He's not really a superhero. Overall, I just wish it was a little more balanced between Asgard and Sakaar. By the way, by the way, Carl Urban, shout out. When I watched this, I didn't realize he was that dude in Lord of the Rings. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy was so cool. As my wife walked in the door, I realized why we went to the theater. You guys were right. The hot men that she finds attractive in this movie is incredible. Yeah, she loves Tom Hiddleston, too. Loves Tom Hiddleston more than Chris Hemsworth, which is weird. But you should see what kind of trickster men she's attracted to. But the hot men, look, Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum. Benedict Cumberbatch. Nicole, do you find Mark Ruffalo attractive? Not as much as the others, but in the Hulk form. Okay, yes. but yeah, but he looks good in gone. this, dressed up as Tony Stark. You know, they yeah, exactly. Yeah. On Tony's clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole, do you like Carl Urban? You know the guy. In... He's a, he's just okay. So just Anthony Hopkins, hot, not. Yes, I already told them. And she said, "You know who I really like? Tom Hiddleston." Too much, too much. That's on the top of her. Like, it, it, what's that list? The five guys that you know you can cheat on your spouse with. If the, if we had a list like that, Tom Hiddleston is four of those choices. <laughs> I love what he does with Loki in this, like, uh, you know, sort of the Loki that's come around by the end. He's changed and completely reformed in a lot of ways, and then he's just going to die. And But they get to sort of, like, redo it all with his own TV show, which I love to watch that as well. Like, he just kicks so much ass. Yeah, not to jump all the way to the end skip to the end can we just say like one of the funnest movies ever to lead to one of the most depressing follow-ups ever everyone like dead basically they just reconciled and then thanos is gonna kill loki in front of thor and blow yeah up and kill shit. like even more innocent as guardians and heimdall and like yeah like and we're not sure but since we didn't see valkyrie and didn't see korg we're assuming they're on this like other ship and like got away which they did it's just like one of the most fun movies because that's that's one of the post credit things all of a sudden like his huge ship and I'm like well that's not gonna end well for them that was part of the trick of this phase was to do like a super fun movie and then you're gonna get an Avengers movie that's gonna depress the fuck out of you and then we're gonna do like an Ant-Man movie and give you fun again and then we're gonna give you Endgame and it's gonna start as like one of the most depressing movies ever but it's gonna end very uplifting and all that but you're still gonna cry a lot and then after that we'll give you a Spider-Man movie we'll dose you with that to make you happy again yeah be the sorbet be the palate cleanser yeah right for the food films <laughs> palate cleanser segment <laughs> tessa thompson in this is valkyrie Ooh. one of the f- fucking coolest characters in the mcu like what an entrance when she comes out and like falls off her ship um i had only known tessa thompson from creed i know you and i guys were big rocky fans so so we knew her from creed Yeah, just, like, walks through this movie like she fucking owns it. Walks through this movie like she's had, like, two of her own MCU movies already. And one of, like, the most gorgeous shots in the entire MCU with that, like, Valkyrie flashback memory thing. Oh, that, and then also when, like, the fireworks are going off on the Rainbow Bridge and she's, like, heroically walking off of the ship. Yeah, no, her character's great. She gets to, like, ironically tase the God of Thunder. That's, like, what hurts him the most in this movie is getting electrocuted. Sparkles. (laughs) And we have to bring up, like, this is the first major LGBTQ character in the MCU, so that that was pretty cool to see. I mean, not like she's, like, dating someone in the movie. It's not, like, super obvious, but it's obvious to anyone paying attention, because, like, you know, the Valkyrie scene, as you're talking about. So, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. It's on, it's on Disney Plus now. They put up a bunch of the one-shots, and in the Mandarin one, the you know, all hail the king when they break the Mandarin out of prison. Uh, Sam Rockwell's in it as Justin Hammer. And in it, he has a boyfriend. He's sort of like trash talking Pepper Potts, but he's also like talking about how much he loves Tony Stark. And him and his boyfriend are sort of watching the encounter between the Mandarin and like some guy trying to mess with him. I guess there was already a gay character, Justin Hammer's in Iron Man 2, but they never mentioned any of that, you know? No, he's not openly gay in that. Going on dates and stuff with women in that movie. It might be just if you're like, you know, he's hitting on that reporter in that movie. To be clear, that doesn't make him not gay. He could be bisexual or whatever. I, I don't want anyone here to like listen and think I'm saying that. But like, my point is, I don't think they wrote Justin Hammer in that movie as a gay character. I think this is like a retcon thing, which is fine. Great, do it. A retcon thing. And then it could be also be in a little like poor taste and sense of humor of like he is in prison. 
Oh, mm, I, I didn't even that. think of that. Yeah. yeah. You never know. I'm just saying it's true. you never know. You don't know. Yeah. I was just thinking two birds, like, let's retcon two birds with one stone. Like, let's fix the Ben Kingsley character and let's fix the Justin Hammer character. Or not fix, but, like, let's use this opportunity to sort of do more with those characters and change their course or whatever. She doesn't say anything in this. She says in Endgame about, like, maybe finding a queen, right? Yeah. That's like the most of anything. And then obviously in the Eternals, the one Eternal, I'm blanking on his name. He's gay. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The one who makes everything. I wish I'd watched Eternals enough to like remember their names and stuff. But yeah. So I know I want to mention this. Men in Black International. I didn't see it. Yeah. Chris Hemworth and Tessa Thompson. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. But it is the two of them. So in theory. That's why I watched it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why I watched it. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need to watch that. It's not them. It's 100% the writing. It's 100%. The last two Men in Black movies is just like, I don't know. Okay, Grandmaster, brother of the collector, Jeff Goldblum, never thought I'd see him show up in an MCU movie. And, and once he showed up, in an MCU movie, I'm like, well, I guess I'm never going to be surprised again who shows up in an MCU movie. Yeah, we're going to be getting Bill Murray in Quantumania. So. But I just love, yeah, he's got an orgy ship in that birthday button. It's my birthday! <laughs> yeah, I love his little song that he's doing, his little his little synth music, his band yeah. going on. And I mean, like, this is the guy who wants to be a hipster. You know, this is the guy who moves to Brooklyn after he got divorced <laughs> and, like, thinks he can, like, change his life, midlife crisis or some shit like that. <laughs> there are people in my life who do not like the MCU or just don't even like superhero movies, not just MCU in particular. You know, they're not in, interested in this kind of film, and that's totally fine. But this is the film, for example, like two of my friends, I was like, hey, you should watch this one. It has Jeff Goldblum. And it was like a big selling point. It's like, oh, this Jeff Goldblum is very fun. And this got them into what we do in the shadows and, and everything along that range. Because it is, yes, it's an MCU movie. Yes, it's a Thor movie, but it is like a Taika movie. But my point is, Jeff Goldblum, big selling point at the time. He was like at the heat of his powers, if you will. I do understand why certain men are handsome, attractive, all that, you know, Idris Elba, Carl Urban, etc. And it's like, I never quite understood the, the Goldblum, but then I realized like everybody has a type kind of thing. And then I realized this was around the time I think that Jurassic Park meme became big with his open chest shirt look and stuff. And people were like rediscovering how sexy he was at one point, I guess. So that's cool. That's that's good. He's just such a sexual person. Yo, too. he, he like, plays a swinger in this movie. Sakar is a key party. Like, that's all this planet <laughs> is. It is a key party. I love his right hand lady, mm-hmm. Joe Paz. She's great. Yeah, that's, that's Rachel House. I think she's been in every one of Taika Waititi's movies. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's like, I had to get her in here somewhere. And yeah, she's, a, she's such a great deadpan. All the Goldblum eye movements, he's playing that little synth thing. He's really a living meme in this film, you know, and that's totally fine. It's like cultural Jeff Goldblum fan service. Because is he, is he's like blue in the comics, right? Yeah, they all look a little different. But they're just like, why blew up Jeff Goldblum? I remember growing up watching him on Conan just be a guest and be so eccentric and such like a strange man and like really be into the fact that he's different. Like he's into the fact that he's strange and he likes to express like all of that as much as possible. So this almost feels like a role that is like made for him in a lot of ways or it's just like wear this weird clothing, like put on this weird hair. So I guess the last guy we got to talk about is the big green guy himself, the old incredible hulk strongest avenger yeah not point break that was an aspect and no matter how you feel about trailers like yeah would that have been an awesome moment to see and not know about on screen sure but i just remember that being a moment in the trailer that got me really psyched for this movie and again since both of them were like the only people that didn't show up in civil war it's like okay cool like because they left definitely left the you know, Hulk ambiguous at the end of Ultron. There were tons of rumors that he was in space. They they were going to adapt Planet Hulk, the comic. They do to a certain extent with this movie where he becomes a gladiator. Uh, he does not sire a child in this film like he does in the comics. <laughs> well, but we don't know that. We don't know. 
You're, that's right. We don't know that. But yeah, you know, there was no hiding that secret. It wasn't going to be a secret that Hulk was in it. And maybe they could have saved the line friend from work a little later. But that is just like such a great line. Which I love the story of that, that that was a kid on the set because of a Make-A-Wish foundation. And he referred to Hulk on set as his friend from work. And Chris Hemsworth was like, that's perfect. And that's where that line comes from. I think when talking about the trailer, I think if you're in a boardroom and you're discussing how do we make sure this movie is a success... You have to. Oh, be totally. Like, you include yeah. that. You have to. Because that was yeah. a selling point to me, too. I'm like, oh, shit. He meets up with Hulk. It's going to be like a buddy thing between them. That's awesome. I get it from a film standpoint. Like, again, my mythical son or daughter watching this for the first time, I probably wouldn't tell them that Hulk was in it so they could have that moment, even though they probably find out regardless. But if you're selling a product, you have to do it. Yeah, this movie has enough other surprises, as do most Marvel movies, right? Like, they didn't put the other two Spider-Men in the No Way Home trailer, et cetera, et cetera. But they did give away, like, all the villains and stuff. So, like, they show some of their cards, but they always make sure that they have, like, an ace in the hole. And something fun about this take on the Hulk is that this is the first time that Mark Ruffalo voiced the Hulk. This is the first time that it's all him. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I was not expecting this much Hulk, and I loved it. And I love the fact of being able to see sort of a Hulk that is thyself, separate from Banner entirely, that has like part of a personality at least. Yeah, and references Banner and everything. Recognizes the duality. Beforehand, it was very much a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like two separate entity kind of things. And then like Banner more having just like a hangover afterwards. But this is, he's been the Hulk for two years now. I just like that. Like he almost is, you know, since he's been the Hulk for two years, he's closer to like a toddler. Did we know in the trailer that Mark Ruffalo was going to appear? He wasn't in the trailers. Yeah, no, he wasn't. So I wasn't sure he was going to show up. And when he did show up, I was like, all right, he's going right back into the Hulk. But no, we get like a great Mark Ruffalo adventure half of the movie too. Like that's what's so fun about the Hulk as a character is you can team up with him twice in the same movie. Because he's the most fish out of water because he is from Earth, a pretty ordinary planet to us. You know what I mean? And he has no idea how he got there. So I love his moments and I love his like Duran Duran shirt from Tony Stark, as you mentioned. Like it's super cool. I also like the get help is a is a fun moment and he just throws loki at the guards (laughs) because there's some really great sincere moments in this movie too just like when he throws something at loki and loki's still like he catches it versus being the hologram just good good times in this film good times lots of fun cool special effects i love the way the dead as guardian soldiers look with their sort of death dealer dungeons and dragons masks going on at the end that shit kicks ass This film gets to join a prestigious list. Very few films that use a Led Zeppelin song. I had to look it up because I was curious. It's Almost Famous, School of Rock, and Small Soldiers. Wow. It's a very small list. Must be quite expensive. I'm surprised they didn't use ACDC's Thunder. ACDC is very much a Tony Stark. I know, but that's just, I figured MCU like owns the rights to all of ACDC. So maybe they'll use it in Love and Thunder. This is... What is it, Immigrant Song, Led Zeppelin? But it says Hammer of the Gods. That's why they use it. Any other moments or or anything else you guys want to say about Ragnarok that we haven't covered? My wife reminded me that me and her came out to our wedding to Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. And for me, it was because of that Thor moment. Uh, Anything else? No, not for me. I think we covered a lot of it. Love this movie. I can't wait for Love and Thunder. Yeah, same here. I mean, it's just, it was a real refresh button to Thor as a character. And then I think both Infinity War and Endgame, you know, continued his character pretty well. He Even with the movie Infinity War beginning with a low, low moment, he gets to have silly moments with the Guardians on the ship, you know, calling Rocket a rabbit. Those funny moments. And then a very low moment by the end of that movie. And then depressed in the next movie but still he's a gamer and then he's being called Lebowski so like they can continue that but I'm really excited to see a full-on Taika Thor again and 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 now we're getting that refresh to Jane's character as well very curious I'm not the biggest Natalie Portman person I'm excited to see her in this Thor world now and Christian Bale he looks fucking weird and awesome. Supposedly, Goldblum is coming back, so I'm excited for that, too. So, Taika Waititi, I thank you for 
your contributions to the MCU. Very cool. Yeah, I think there's only one more. We only have to cover Civil War. We haven't covered Captain America 3 yet, and I think that I'm caught up. And the Avengers 3, if we really want to do uh, Infinity War, but man... Do Infinity War, just leave it at that? Like, after just watching it again, that is super depressing. Like, I'm not ready to rewatch that for, like, another year or something like that. It is just a downer, dude. But there are other Marvel Part 3s out there in the multiverse. Like, I still haven't done X3. Gotta talk some X men at some point do you have to do all of phase three because this is third no no definitely not absolutely not but at one point i would like to try and do the death of the incredible hulk which was that third hulk tv movie with you at some point down the line but we'll get to it when we can that's a very hard to get movie for some reason otherwise uh let's start the signing off with some plugs brian rodriguez brian what is it capital is it brian capital r big r rodriguez the big r yeah (laughs) you could follow high school slumber party my high school show that mike you're on a ton um we'll be back with a lot of stuff a lot of summer surprises but also you know uh excited mike then you and i and kyle you've popped into but we've started a new business venture together uncle francis's wine cellar where we talk the films of Francis Ford Coppola, but we're starting with The Offer, and those episodes are coming out fast and furious now that my computer is no longer broken. And just, you can follow me on Twitter, Rodriguez, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez, and yeah, just follow High School Slumber Party wherever you can, and that's what I got. Awesome. Kyle, how about yourself, sir? Uh, Just check out all the great podcasts on Cage Club, guys. (laughs) Check out Kyle's great podcast, Foodie Films, even though it's on hiatus at the moment. I've been on some fun episodes for some fun movies about cannibals. I still find that hilarious. The fact that, like, I want to come on and talk Tampoco and, like, movies about food and stuff, but, like, so far it's been eating people. (laughs) But, yeah, okay, so I guess until next time, y'all, I'll see you in the MCU. going to do it for another episode of third time's a charm gotta thank my guests brian and kyle the hoff bros and be sure to find all of their shows on cageclub.me as well as all the other great shows that i'm on including the monsters that made us and hanks for the memories and cruise club where joey lewandowski and i just reviewed top gun maverick plus so many other great shows on the network all at cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on twitter and instagram you can write to me at three at cageclub.me that's t-h-r-e-e at cageclub.me and find this show all over the internet wherever podcasts are available until next time hawk smash Number. Three, three may still be me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?